Good morning. This morning we'll be reading from John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Jesus is going to tell us here the difference between slavery and true freedom. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave to sin has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We are certainly glad everyone is here today, but to our dads, we want to extend a very happy Father's Day. We do want to acknowledge and celebrate with our dads and our families, but at the same time, just like we do on Mother's Day, we recognize that for some people today is probably a difficult day. Maybe because of loss or because of, of not having kids or maybe uh, just having a father who just fell short of being the dad that, that he ought to be. It's, it's uh, just maybe a, one of those days for some people. And if that's the case for you, our hearts go out to you and we want you to know that there is a heavenly father, our father, who is a perfect father, who loves you dearly. As Jason said just a moment ago at the table, a father who loves you dearly. And so you can take peace in receiving and knowing the love of our Heavenly Father. But it does seem right to acknowledge our earthly dads today. And on Mother's Day, we give them a flower, a rose. And I don't know, maybe some of you guys would like a flower, but we decided we should do something for you. And what could we give to guys? We gave you donuts, if you went to Donuts for Dad, because we know that the way to a father's, or a man's heart, I guess, is through a stomach, right? And so now, after donuts, we have cookies for you. <laughs> a little bag of cookies for every father here. And I want to thank the ladies in the office, Katie and Danielle and Lisa and maybe others who worked so hard to put these together. But we do want to give you just a very small token of our love and appreciation. And so you can, uh, you can enjoy these cookies. So... If you became a father over the past year, you adopted, had a child, if you became a father over the last year, please stand up and remain standing. All of our new dads. I don't see any. I know there are some. <laughs> Maybe I just can't see. All right, how about on the other end of the spectrum, if you are a grandfather or a great-grandfather or a great-great-grandfather, all our grandfathers, please stand. All the old fellows with lots of wisdom. I see some stiff backs out there. Go ahead and stand up and stretch a little bit. All right, all of our dads, join these guys, and please stand. All of our fathers, please stand. What an encouragement you are to us. Please continue to lead and serve, and let us see the heart of our Heavenly Father in you. We are so happy that you're here. We're happy that you're a part of this church family and we praise God for you our young people are going to help deliver the cookies right guys so we are mobilizing so after you get your little pack of cookies you can be seated to help these guys know who to give cookies to so remain standing until you get 
your cookies. Wow, we have lots. We may have more young people than cookies. Make sure you hand them all out before you eat them. And like we do on Mother's Day, we thought, well, we might as well have some kind of poem here. So this poem is entitled, Thank You, Father, a.k.a. A Poem to Kill Time While We Hand Out Cookies. How's it going, guys? All right. Roses are red. Cookies are sweet. Dads are special, so here's something to eat. Fathers, we look up to you. So thankful for who you are. Your strength is unmatched. You're always there to open every jar. Your clothes may be outdated. Your joke's pretty lame. Exhibit A. But it doesn't matter to us. We love you just the same. Your hair may turn gray. It may even let go. But that's just a sign of wisdom and putting up with us, we know. God called you to lead, to set the pace. We want to follow you as we run the Christian race. So thanks for being there for us. We appreciate all you do. Please keep leading and serving so we can see our Heavenly Father in you. Man, you guys are fast. Now, what's the rule on leftover cookies, Jeremy and John? I don't see them being turned back in. <laughs> I'm going to hear lots of crumpling of paper and cookies over here in this section, I, I think. Thank you, guys. Very, very good job. Did we miss anyone? Did everybody? Did we miss anyone? Okay. It's very efficient. <laughs> we do want to offer a prayer of blessing and thanksgiving over our fathers. And so if you are comfortable, I would encourage you to maybe put a hand on the shoulder of your father if he's nearby, or a father, maybe scooch down and just put a hand on the shoulder as we offer up a prayer of thanksgiving for our dads. All right, let's join together and pray. Father God, you are a good, good father. God, you are a father who looks for us, who runs to us, who embraces us, who celebrates with us. Father, for that, we are thankful. We are thankful to call you Father. And God, at this time, on this day, among these good people, we thank you for these dads among us. Father, we know, as you know, they are not perfect, and yet they are striving to serve you, to follow you. For that, we're thankful. God, we're thankful for their leadership. We're thankful for their service. We're thankful for their example, for their hearts, for the work they do. And Father, we pray your richest blessings over them. God, may your spirit guide them. May you give them discernment to make good choices, to lead in such a way that brings others to you. Father, may you grant them good health. Father, may you put opportunities in front of them so they may see your hand at work and follow your leading. They could do what you have called them to do and be who you have called them to be. So, Father, be with them. Walk with them. Use them in mighty ways among us and help us to find ways to honor them as together we honor you. We give thanks and we praise your name. 
In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. We are in a series called 180, looking at some of the conversion stories throughout the book of Acts. And today's conversion story takes us to Acts chapter 16 to actually see the story of a father, a dad. But this man isn't really known for his role as a father. Rather, he is known for his role as a jailer, keeping people in jail. Now, for some of you teenagers, you may think, yeah, that sounds about right. My dad is a jailer. He keeps me in jail all the time. This is a different kind of jail, a literal jail. And to understand his story, his 180, we first have to set the scene and understand some other things. You see, I, I think that paradox is at the heart of the kingdom of God. I think when heaven clashes with earth, when the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven, I think things are turned upside down and inside out because the ways of the world and the ways of God's kingdom often clash. And when you look at life and you live life from a Christian faith worldview, then things that are important to the world don't seem that important. And things that the world says, this is the way it should be, you say, wait, I don't know. That doesn't sound right. You see, there is so much irony, there is so much paradox when it comes to the kingdom of God. Things aren't always as they seem. That's why Jesus said the first will be last, and the last will be first. That's why Jesus said, those who are meek are blessed, and they will inherit the earth. See, everyone in the world says, no, people who inherit the earth are the wealthy people, the lucky people, the successful people. And Jesus comes along and he says, the meek will inherit the earth. They are the ones that are truly blessed. You see, God often uses the weak to shame the wise. He uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary in God's economy strength is often found in weakness and joy can even be found in suffering there is so much paradox in the kingdom of God and so when we look at the story of this Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 we see his story is wrapped in paradox I think you'll understand as we look at his story. As we see the kingdom of God rumbling through a prison cell, turning things upside down and inside out. It all begins with Paul and Silas going different to different cities to share the gospel. They are in Philippi and they are shadowed by this young lady. The text describes her as a female slave who has a spirit that enables her to predict the future. You can imagine how helpful that would be. You can also imagine how profitable that kind of ability would be. If you had someone who had or seemingly had the ability to predict the future, you could see where this could be highly Profitable. People will pay for that kind of service. Will we have good crops this year? Will I get over this sickness? Will the Philippian Phillies win the gladiator games this year? You could see where this could be really profitable. And it was. And this young lady had handlers or slave owners, as they're called in the text, 
who exploit her and this spirit in her for their own selfish gain, for their own financial gain. Well, she must have been pretty good at what she did because she made them a lot of money. And when Paul and Silas come along and she actually says what they are doing and who they are, she hits it right on the head. In chapter 16, verse 17, she says, These two men are from the Most High God. And they are telling us, they are sharing the way of salvation, the way to be saved. Now, we know, reading this in the text all these years later, in the larger context of who God is and what God is doing, we know that salvation means a lot. But in our minds, we often get this heaven-hell dichotomy when we think of salvation. I can almost guarantee you that people who heard this young lady say these things, they weren't thinking heaven and hell. They were probably thinking, okay, so these guys are from Zeus, they're servants of Zeus, or one of the other pagan gods of the pantheon, and you're saying that they are offering good health and prosperity as the way of salvation. And so probably there was confusion, but whatever the message was, whatever the message, however it was received, one thing is clear, Paul didn't need or want this kind of publicity. Paul didn't need a hype man, he didn't need a PR person. But she wouldn't stop shouting this message about Paul and Silas. In fact, the text says, For days she followed them around, shouting these things. And finally, by the power of Jesus Christ, Paul brings the Spirit out of her. And when he does that, she loses the ability to foresee into the future. Because she can no longer predict the future, no one's going to pay for that service. And when no one is going to pay for that service, what's going to happen to the guys who own her, who are exploiting her? they're not going to get paid. And they're not going to be happy. And they weren't happy. You know, the world often puts up with Christianity. As long as Christianity doesn't infringe on the things that are most important to them, their comfort, their compensation. You know, you can go ahead and and do your church thing and you can be your, your, you know, Christian doing service and all that, but just don't infringe on my freedoms. Don't infringe on certainly my ability to make money. And that's what happens here. Paul will actually deal with the very same thing later in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 with the silversmith who, make, who makes these souvenir uh, statues for Artemis. Paul comes along and he shares the truth and it cuts back on business and people aren't happy. Well, people weren't happy here, and so these men have Paul and Silas captured and thrown into jail. You say, well, what's the charge? What what did they do wrong? They basically helped this young lady. The charge was, these guys aren't from here. They're not from around here. They are outsiders, and they're trying to change our culture. They're trying to change our way of life, and we need to do something about it. Verse 22 The crowd joined in in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. 
When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So often when we read this story and some of the other stories throughout Acts, we get the cartoon version in our head. The VeggieTale version or the VBS version. And we see two happy cartoon guys chained to each other in a prison cell singing. But this is a gory scene. This is a bloody scene. They are severely flogged. Do you know what that means? They were beaten over and over again. There were, the Jews had, in the Hebrew law, a limit. You couldn't beat someone more than 40 times. But they would always go up to about 39 in case they miscounted. I guess the men they hired to flog people were hired for their flogging abilities, not for their math skills. And so they would stop just short of 40. But in Roman rule, there was no limit. You could beat someone as many times as you wanted to. And so maybe Paul and Silas were beaten 40 times. Maybe they were beaten 100 times. We don't know. But can you imagine what they look like, what they're going through? As they are taken and put in this inner cell, their feet put in stocks, their raw backs bleeding, pools of blood around them. That's the scene. And I wonder... How would you, how would I respond in this situation? What would our mindset be? I can tell you what mine would be. God, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Don't you see what we're trying to do? We are trying to help you and your cause. We're on your side. We're trying to share the gospel. How could you let this happen to us? In fact, they're Roman citizens, which we'll find out or the authorities will find out later. They didn't even deserve to be in prison until they had a court hearing. And yet here they are. All kinds of injustice. This isn't fair. If that would have been me, I bet I would have been whining and complaining the whole time. Maybe even questioning my calling. I mean, do you think it ever crossed Paul and Silas's mind? You know, maybe we're not cut out for this. Maybe, maybe we misheard the calling of God. Maybe we should just go sell insurance or something like that because this is not working out. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice their mindset. How do you know their mindset? Because I want you to notice what they're doing. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. They say everyone has a breaking point And I don't know about you, but this probably would have been mine. What would you have been doing inside that prison cell? Would you have been praising God, singing praises to Him, or whining and complaining about how unfair it was? I mean, think about this. As we're going to see, God is going to show up and do something big. But why didn't He show up and do something big before they were beaten? That would have been my question. God, if you're going to go ahead and come down here and do something, why don't we preempt this? Why don't we be a little bit proactive on this? Why don't you do that before they start beating me with those sticks? Isn't that interesting? When and how God acts. And yet, they continue to praise God, even in their pain. And the text says that the other prisoners were listening to them. I think that's significant. 
The other prisoners there are watching Paul and Silas. How could they not watch them? Watching these two men sitting in a pool of their own blood, feet chained together, praising God. How could they not notice? Do you see the irony? Do you see the paradox when it comes to God's kingdom? And I think we also see a great lesson for us. How you handle suffering can be a witness to a watching world. Have you ever thought about that? How you deal with difficulty. What do your friends and your co-workers and your neighbors and your family, what do they see when they see you go through hard times? What do they see when they see you go through loss? When they see you go through family strife or financial problems or job searches, what do they see? What do they see of your faith? What do they see of your God? What an opportunity to draw people in, to see something that the world doesn't understand, to see something that is upside down, inside out, from the way the world views suffering. And I'm not saying masking your pain or spilling out spiritual cliches to try to gloss over your struggle. I'm talking about experiencing the struggle and the suffering from a place of complete trust, of leaning into the disappointment, leaning into the despair with a faith in God that is so rugged, that is so sustainable, that whatever comes your way, you, like Paul and Silas, will continue to praise God and look to him. Other people will notice just as they did in that prison cell, other people will notice that there is something different about you. For Paul and Silas, that's when God decided to show up and to shake things up, literally. A violent earthquake rumbles the foundations of the prison and all the prison doors fly open. And what do you know? The chains, the stocks, they all fall off not the first time God has shook the earth to get someone's attention. What does a jailer do? How does he respond? You've heard that saying, you had one job. The jailer had one job. Keep these guys in jail. Whoever's on the inside, keep them on the inside. And so he's jarred out of his sleep by this earthquake, by this rumbling. He gets up, and what does he see? He sees doors that are open, chains that are gone. And what does he think? This is it. I'm done. I had one job and I failed. He draws his sword to end his own life, maybe to do the noble thing, maybe to avoid what he sees as worse punishment. And just as he is about to take his life, something happens. One miracle is followed by another miracle. Paul and Silas and the prisoners, they're all still there. And Paul says, wait, 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 don't hurt yourself. Look around, we're here. We didn't go anywhere. Back in verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now we know, and Paul knows, that there is a salvation that transcends physical circumstances. After all, we just saw Paul is not that concerned about physical circumstances. His faith remains intact despite his circumstances. 
And so when this jailer says, what do I need to do to be saved? What does he really mean? The word used there is the same word that Luke uses in Luke chapter 8 when Jesus heals a woman. He saves her. He delivers her. And so the word has this connotation of to save from danger, to save from despair. And so maybe this jailer knows what's unfolding in front of him, that he had one job, and now these guys are loose, and he's basically letting them loose now, and he's wondering, I'm in a mess. What do I do? I need help. Or maybe he's reflecting back on what that young female slave was saying about these two men, that they were from the Most High God, and they were teaching or telling the way of salvation. And he's thinking, I don't know what that salvation is, but I want it. Or maybe... He just knows that he is anything but free. And he wants the freedom that he sees in the life and in the heart of Paul and his companion. What must I do to be saved? Of course, as I said, Paul's purpose, his message, transcends physical salvation, physical deliverance. And what does Paul do? Paul points him to Jesus Jesus is the source of salvation. Jesus will deliver you from what is most oppressive in your life, and that is sin and death. And what do Paul and Silas do? They preach the gospel. Verse 31, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house, And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, and he washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, his house, and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Paul tells this jailer that true freedom is only found in Jesus. That salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone share the gospel with not only the jailer but his whole family his whole household and they respond by believing by being baptized the same way people respond throughout acts the same way we respond today and so here we see another conversion story another 180 degree turn in someone's life because of jesus but not just his life in the lives of his whole household But I want you to look. I want you to see the irony. Do you see the paradox? Paul and Silas were imprisoned, yet they responded as only free men could respond, with praise and thanksgiving. While the one guarding them, in essence removing their freedom, is the one who desperately needed to escape, needed to be set free. From sin and death. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Here's the lesson I think this man and his family story tells us. Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came to set you free. You say, well, I don't, what do I need to be set free from? I live in a free country. I have all these freedoms and rights. What is oppressing me? Well, it's probably a little bit different answer, different variation from the same answer for many people. 
Because we allow so many things to take us captive, don't we? Ideas that are out there in the world, our own dreams, our own desires. We give in to temptation. We we find ourselves imprisoned by sin and guilt. What about fear? Rather than responding from a place of faith and trust and boldness, we allow fear to hold us back. Not being the people we know God has made us to be and not doing the things we know he has called us to do, all because we're afraid. We're afraid of what people will say. We're afraid of failing. We're afraid of of people misinterpreting, misunderstanding. We're held captive by so many things. Jesus came to set you free. Don't think that you don't need freedom. Jesus was talking one time to a group of Jews who didn't think they needed freedom. And he begins to talk to them about freedom, and they say, we know freedom. We've never been slaves to anyone, which is just a blatant untruth. Look at their history. Yes, of course they've been slaves. And yet, like us, they get confused. And they think they are free when they're really not free. Do you see the paradox? And Jesus says, recorded in John chapter 8, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You are not free. If you sin, you are a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, I think sometimes we struggle to really appreciate freedom, to embrace freedom. And maybe it's because we've never had freedom taken from us. But if you've ever had freedom taken away, you have an appreciation for freedom. If you've ever spent time in prison, then you appreciate being free. If you've ever had your health taken from you, then you appreciate being healthy. If you've ever had your hope stolen away, then you know what it's like to appreciate and be thankful for the simple gift of hope. Several years ago, the New York Times ran a story about a man named Robert Salzman. He had a rough childhood. He spent most of his adult life in prison. Finally, he got out of prison, but he just couldn't embrace freedom. He struggled. He struggled to get a job. He struggled to hold a job. He struggled to find and afford a place to live, and he bounced around from shelter to shelter. And then one day, he was on the New York subway, and he was discovered. There was a movie director on the subway, and this movie director was looking for someone to play a certain part in his movie. He was looking for a tough guy, ex-con. Well, Salzman was the perfect candidate and he actually talked to him he had him read for the part and he actually got the part in the movie and so fast forward they are filming on location in a prison on long island and during one of the breaks salzman was exhausted he was worn out and he lays down on a cot inside a prison cell there on location on the set he falls asleep and when he wakes up he is incredibly disoriented He is confused, and he thinks for a moment that he is back in prison. And he begins to weep in despair because he knows what it's like 
to have his freedom taken away. But then he begins to kind of wake up and open his eyes and look around, and he notices that the doors are open. And then he remembers, this isn't real. This isn't where I am. This is a movie set. I can get up and walk out those doors any time and live a life of freedom. I want you to know that the same is true for you. You do not have to remain captive. Captive to sin, captive to guilt, captive to fear, to doubt. That is not the life that God has called you to live. That's not the life he wants you to live. Jesus came to set you free. And apart from Jesus, you will forever be a slave to sin. The world will call it something else. They will call it pleasure. They will call it success. They will call it wealth and status. And they will prioritize it and value it. But the truth is, you are held captive. You are imprisoned by your own sin and ultimately by death. Separation from God for all of eternity. Jesus came to set you free. The doors are wide open. All you have to do is get up and walk through the door. Embrace the freedom that he has given you. Will you do that? Will you live your life that way? As free. Because when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Maybe today is a day that you want to declare your freedom in Christ. By confessing your belief in Jesus and being baptized into Christ. We would love to celebrate with you. That's what the Philippian jailer and his whole family did. Maybe today is your day to do that. Or maybe freedom for you means making some changes. Maybe it means changing some relationships, changing some priorities, some pursuits, getting out of sin. Maybe it means confessing sin. If we can encourage you, if we can help you, support you, pray for you, we'd be happy to do that. We want to be here for you. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor right behind me. You can go in there and they would be happy to pray for you or you can come down front and we would receive you today. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.